Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Stacks. Uh, this is Jay. And I'm Shanna. And uh, for our first post-Spooky Stacks pick uh, this uh, th- this month, uh, we're starting with Don't Deliver Us From Evil, uh, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like I feel like I need to be delivered from evil after watching this. It's a grungy one. It's it's a very very uh, sleazy, grungy, dank kind of film. Uh, this is a 1971 picture directed by a Joel Seria. Uh, very anti-Catholic. Uh, it's sort of just a, a, a lot of shady morality surrounding Catholicism in this movie. Yeah. Um, well, I, I don't know if it's really surrounding catholicism but all right let's not mince words everybody in this town is apparently a rapist everybody's pretty bad uh there's uh and especially our our central characters who are obsessed with sin and this is very very loosely based on the famous parker holm case uh two new zealand teenagers uh one 15 and one 16 uh, who just became completely obsessed with one another and developed this intense, uh, detailed fantasy world. And uh, I like I'm not super familiar with the real case, but I know that ultimately they killed one of the girl's mothers uh, because they were afraid of being separated, I guess. Hmm, okay. So this is very different. Uh, the, yeah, this the, isn't really that. Yeah, th- this is more just it has the element of these two teenage girls who have become completely obsessed with each other. Uh, but this one put places it within a Catholic context very pointedly. Uh, it's them in a convent, basically like they go to Catholic school, uh, in a convent that like they stay in during the week. And this is them, mostly them on summer vacation. I think mostly. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the impression I get. They're on summer vacation. Uh, the one girl's parents are away. So she's got the house to herself and. Well, she uh, seems to have like her own standalone chateau. Yeah. Cause they have like this huge mansion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my understanding is she just cleaned up the guest house. Yeah. That's what it seems to be. And they, they call it their chateau. Yeah. Uh, their, their and- big gay do crimes hideout. Yeah, uh, this has a real just slam bang of an opening, uh, a very bold opening where <laughs> we, we open in the convent and we see our main girl, Anne, just with the hugest grin watching a nun undress. And I was like, OK, yeah, this is going to be my kind of movie. And then I realized everyone here, the, the main girls look like they're 14. They do. They look very, very young. Like the actresses yeah. are uh, both, I believe, 20, but they do look very young. Uh, in it, Like reflective of the ages of the girls in the original case. Mm-hmm. Uh, but usually when you get one of these, even though they're supposed to be playing young, <clears throat> they usually don't uh, look that young. So it, it is a little upsetting. It's it made it kind of hard to watch, honestly, in some places. I just had to completely shift my mentality. Yeah, it can be very, very unsettling. Uh, So she also has her diary, which is just a big problem. 
she's writing in her diary about how uh, this girl, Celine, got the blame for something that she did. So she got away with it. And it, like, I'm yelling at the screen. This is how you don't get away with it, baby. <laughs> Come on. Hey, she's she's very good at getting away with it. For a while. because she seems to have access to all these different hidey holes all over the town. Well, mostly it's because she's unfathomably rich. She comes from yeah. an incredibly rich family, it seems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And everyone just kind of is like, oh, that's the rich girl. Let her do whatever she wants or we'll be in trouble. Uh, and like she... <laughs> I don't know. Uh, she also writes how she she admits to confessing false sins and that confession like just making up stuff to confess to and that it kind of gave her a thrill. Like one thing that's interesting is just the range of sin. Like they they're totally interested and take it so seriously from the absolute pettiest to just the darkest and most evil shit. It it kind of reminds me. Of that guy from Day of the Beast who yeah. really wants to sin but just doesn't really get it, so he just does whatever he can think of, but it ends up just being like pushing people over. Well, yeah, it's it's kind of almost exactly the same, where they are brought up within this very specific and very restrictive religious context, so they're just kind of operating on, well, like all of these things are sins, where do I even begin? And because the, there's no sense of scale. Well, it doesn't help that the uh, the priests are all like, and if you kill, you'll be dying in hellfire. And if you look at this girl the wrong way, you'll be dying in hellfire. And if you take the Lord's name in vain, and if you cross the street with your left foot first instead of your right foot, you'll be dying in hellfire. Well, like, the guy literally has a big fire and brimstone speech about the evils of magazines. Just how yeah. magazines are evil. And, like, I get Don't it. that kids look at magazines. Yeah, it, well, and I mean, that's sort of what I feel this movie is about, or, or that sort of approach to sin is just how, like, they just have no sense of scale because everything is just this incredible mortal sin so, like, they can't just be gay, you know? The, the, that's not something that couldn't even be conceptualized. So, instead, they go insane. <laughs> Should have just let him be gay, honestly. They, really? Uh, and that really does seem to be... Them that they couldn't... <laughs> it, yeah, like, that's the takeaway that I get, get from pretty much every version I've seen of movies based on the Parker Holm case, however loosely. And, like, I've seen at least three... And and they're always like that. It's just like, you know, if these people were just allowed to be gay, it probably wouldn't have been such a disaster. Mm-hmm. Like, it does seem probably. like they had emotional and mental problems that led them here as well, especially Anne. Anne seems to be kind of, I, I wouldn't say exactly our protagonist, but our main character. Yeah, she's the protagonist. <laughs> kind of. Uh, I mean, she drives the plot, good, but yeah, yeah. Uh, and she also writes in her diary that she and Lore are devoted to sin and Satan. Yeah. What is their prayer? Actually, I've got it here because it's on oh, the perfect. cover of the. TV, oh, yeah. Which makes, which makes this movie <laughs> look a lot sexier than it actually is. This is not a sexy movie. I'll no. tell you that right now. It's not. 
if you're going to this movie for like, hey, sexy girl, no, no, you're not going to get that out of this. No, it, it is a hilariously misleading cover in this case. Yeah, like, well, like they look like hot goth thirty somethings, but yes, anyway. <laughs> they do not look like the girls in the movie. No. No, but yeah, they, they have this prayer. It's like we renounce forever Jesus Christ and all his works. We dedicate ourselves to Satan. We beseech thee, Satan, our Lord and Master, teach us all the ways of wickedness, and at the hour of our death, welcome us into your satanic bosom. Clearly, people who want to worship Satan, but this is it's the most generic thing. Well, it's it's a direct parallel know. of the Lord's Prayer. No, it's it's a yeah. oh. it's a specific uh like oppositional version of every like i think it's the lord's prayer or one of those it's like i'm not up on any oh, okay. of this shit but that that's like all of their stuff, stuff either yeah no uh literally everything they do in this like all of it is a specific uh blasphemy like they're going directly against uh the way it's written so uh, all of their prayers and when they do like <clears throat> when they do their big uh, recitation uh, climactic at the end. All of that is sort of just like a direct perversion of uh, Catholic dogma, basically. Oh, yeah, that end part. Uh, well, we'll Which get will, to that. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to go there. Uh, so we're we're introduced to Lore here as well. Lore gets into bed with her, uh, and she's brought a dirty magazine that they found, so they read that to each other for a bit. <laughs> And they, she also says, oh, there's lots more of these in the attic. So they're making plans to break into the attic to steal them. Like, we, we see the very quick escalations. Like, oh, yeah, no, they're, they're kind of just into every level of sin. It, it doesn't really matter uh, how petty it is or uh, how severe it is. Yeah, today I'm going to let the cows out. Tomorrow I'm going to burn the farm down. Day after that, I'm going to rip a hole in this guy's underwear. <laughs> it's literally that some clothes. Uh, so the next day we see them like th this is basically just the last night before summer vacation i guess yeah yeah uh and Anne's dad drops lore off uh at uh their place and like they seem to have a pretty nice place but it's nowhere near as huge and palatial as Anne's parents house mm -hmm. house uh, houses i don't castle i don't really know i don't understand the scale of Anne's place it's just it's like impossible as to big see as it needs to be yeah like yeah we see sequences where like she's in a different wing of the house and observing people through a window like it's it's just a, a gigantic edifice and like pointedly here uh Anne's dad is like, no, we, we won't stop by for a visit. That's okay. But later on, they do invite Laura's family to visit them. And I do feel like there's sort of a class divide there, probably. Okay. Could be. Yeah, I never really... I didn't pick up on the class stuff until much later when they were fucking with all the farmers. And I was like, hmm. Right, yeah. But there is there is a class thing oh, yes. to this movie. There, there, There is a class element for sure. Uh, and so Anne goes to her room and smokes and sensually undresses in front of the mirror, I guess just for her own benefit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She does Very this strange. a few times because yep. she, uh, she kisses herself in the mirror, too, at one point. Yes, on. she definitely seems extremely narcissistic. 
Like uh, she has a, an extreme level of narcissism uh, that has sort of infected lore. Like they're totally codependent, obviously. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, I, I don't know. I just kind of thought I kind of, I mean, yeah, maybe, but I also just kind of read that as like she's, I don't know, discovering she likes Girlbot. Yeah, yeah, that as well works better. I, I think you're, the narcissism. There's definitely an, uh, an element of narcissism because uh, she is kind of pure evil and she is the driving force of most of the bad things. Oh, yeah. And, like, and as something that I've noticed as we go through, she's never the one in harm's way. No. And and that's as well. Like, she's the one who's very wealthy and she just kind of puts lore in situations where she's in danger uh, just as bait to go do other things and to to wreak havoc. And and like just a, a, as sort of a thing that especially will show how nasty she is right at this point she's really mean to a kitten after dinner. Oh yeah, yeah she she's not nice to animals. Yeah, and she um, she's just petting the kitten too hard, just like specifically to be mean to it. It's like no, her her dad makes her leave it alone. I was glad to not see the kitten again in the movie <laughs> just because of yeah. how evil she is. Yeah, I was kind of like, oh, she's petting a cat. I'm petting a cat right now, too. Uh, oh, oh, no, stop. No, I'm not. Okay. Uh, you're just going to take the fun out of everything, are you? Aren't you, movie? <laughs> uh, so it's, it's so, the yeah, next. She's... Yeah, Please, uh, go ahead. I didn't like that. Yeah, didn't no, like I that. did not care for that. Uh, it's the next day they go to church and she uh, imagines the priest naked and everyone laughing at him, which was pretty fun. Because, I, I mean, that's sort of the weird thing about this movie is some of their stuff is so petty that it is just yeah. fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like this. Like, I guess imagining the priest naked is one of the sins, but it's just a silly thing here. I, and I love also that not only she imagines him naked, she imagines everybody sees him naked and imagines how everyone would think that's funny and and just laugh at him. Yeah. I like that a lot. And this is when he's giving his uh, speech about the evils of magazines, which is pretty bad. It's, I was kind of not paying attention because it was more... Sometimes when somebody launches into a speech and I know where it's going to go, I just kind of wander off in my mind. It's like, oh, Hellfire and Brimstone. Okay, this is that one. Oh, it's, it's just generally magazines. Don't look at magazines. Yeah, magazines are bad. Um, and like notably after the, uh, the, the sermon, like lots of parents come up to him and talk about how great uh, the sermon was. And like, oh, yeah, he's really bringing a lot of energy back into the church to really get the young people. And it's just the most <laughs> inane bullshit. Yeah. And like, you know, specifically, and they're imagining everyone just laughing at him the whole time, like as a contrast. Uh, and oh, notably... Oh. Sorry, go ahead. Or I was thinking just like the priest always like pulling out this big towel out of his sleeve to blow his nose and then shoving it back in there. I'm like, dude, that's gross. Yeah, the guy's gross. The priest uh, is gross. Notably, in after the ceremony, both of them pocket their communion wafers. Uh, they don't swallow them. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, <laughs> they do these elaborate sleight of hand things to take them out of their mouth. Um only later I realized that they're saving them. 
Yes. And they mention it shortly, like not at this point, but like a little bit later. Yeah, something about like they have a hundred hosts now. Yes. The, if like, I knew anything about a hundred hosts. If I knew anything about Christianity, I'd understand the point of the Jesus cookies, but I don't. Yeah, they're they're the holy host. They they represent the body of Christ. Oh. Yeah. It's it's a weird. Yeah, you know, Catholicism, uh, the 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 wine and the wafers. It's uh, the blood and body of Christ, sort of representative ceremony, uh, the form of absolution, etc. So, I guess at this point we have Anne's family inviting Laura's family to visit after church and right. uh, the two of them go and find this abandoned chapel yeah i can't i don't really get if this is on the property too i'm not sure that i, I could not figure that out either i have a hard time telling where a lot of these locations are in relation to one another well and also just because it seems that Anne has this total freedom to go in anywhere and do anything so it doesn't seem to matter if it's on their property. She's just going yeah, to guess. break it and do it anyway. Yeah. Uh, and they're, yeah, they're looking she... through. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Uh, I, I lost it. Uh, so they're looking through closets, uh, trying to find some priestly robes to steal because they, they need priest robes for their ceremony. Yeah, we don't know what the ceremony is yet, but. Uh, but they we... talk a lot about it for a while. Yeah, but we never we never find out what it is until it happens. Yeah, and they also steal a grail and some communion wine for their ceremony as well. And I guess it's important that all of it be stolen, specifically right. as a perversion of the ceremony as well. Of course. Uh, after this, this is when they also spy on the two nuns who are kissing. Oh, yeah, right, right. <laughs> she just looks at the... She through the keyhole. the keyhole and it's like yep they are these two nuns are gonna make out but of course they don't because they make because the girls make a sound or something yeah i i think they specifically kind of uh blow up their spot it's totally uncool yeah and yeah. and then she like goes to the priest and like does a fake tearful confession about peeping on them yeah but the priest questions uh, <laughs> it was kind of kind of weird to me because the priest was all like yeah go on what were they doing did it make you feel good um, it's please weird. describe in detail the these two ladies making out and, it, and how terrible it is it is strange like i i'm not sure exactly how to read it whether it's uh, that sort of thing where he's like oh i, I want more details on this sexy thing or if he's really offended or yeah it's it's hard to say the the way i was also reading it is he's kind of onto her bullshit already and he's like oh yeah so why was it that you were looking through this keyhole and like oh yeah and so you're you're into this so you you liked watching that that's why you were doing that and it's like it could be that could be that because she's like no i i didn't like it and he's like okay uh, don't spread it around, all right? And I like it. Sort of feels like he's just sort of like, yeah, I don't know. That's totally a thing that might be happening. But also, you're starting to uh, show some signs of some problems here. 
Not that the priest seems especially perceptive, but that's sort of the way I read some of that scene. Yeah, he basically ended up saying, like, like she said to him, like, why would they do this then if it's a sin? And he's like, I'll tell you when you're older, but not today. Uh, Definitely not today. Go to bed and forget about this. Yeah. And Just, just forget the whole thing. I'll tell you when you're older, but you'll forget about it. And like, also, we know that every night she is openly ogling the sister when she's undressing because we Uh see it a couple times. Uh Someone else has probably seen that and talked to him about that. Like there, there's all these layers of there, there's so many things that she's just openly doing that she just assumes no one knows about. Like she's writing all of about it in her diary. She has this big book of sins which she keeps under her pillow in the convent, which yeah. has, she has so much space under her pillow. She's got but, like a mirror and makeup and a diary. But what is a nosier space than a Catholic school full where everybody's living there and has nothing to do all day, but like gossip about each other. I, I feel like she, we're, we're looking through a lot of this through her eyes and she's sort of just going wild during the summer under no supervision. Mm-hmm. But I feel like within the confines of the school, a lot more people know what's going on than she thinks does. I Probably. Because, like, how would they not? <laughs> she's well, really not subtle about it. She's really not. She's like, she, like when the nun is uh, changing, she's like staring and grinning and just like, like, like looking right. Yeah, she just props herself up on on her uh, on her shoulders and she's like, "Yep, I'm I'm ready to watch this. Good times, nightly ceremony." Yeah. Yep. Uh, this this also now is when they go biking and they creep out the farmer guy while because they're watching him pee. Oh yeah! So then they decide go hang out yeah. with him in the field. They go hang out with the farmer in the field, and uh, all part of a know. plot. Oh, uh, yeah. So Anne tells him that Lore likes him, and he's like. He's he's kind of just playing it off first. He's like, oh, yeah, you guys are going to school. And I was like, I wish I could have gone to school. I, I just really never had any opportunity to. I just had to work on the farm and inherit the, from the parents. And it was like, he's trying to connect at first. Yeah. He's like, I, I, I kind of wanted to be a priest. And they're like, priest isn't a job. <laughs> Anyway, my girl. Anyway, my friend wants to have sex with you. Oh yeah, I totally do. Um, yeah, uh, it's it's a weird scene. Like she lays down and she kind of like flashes her underwear at him. Yeah, uh, you kind of see like through her perspective, like her legs just opening and closing, and seeing the guy through the legs as he's staring. It's weird. It's weird. It's weird. It gets weirder because uh, he goes for it. Yeah, it takes a while, but ultimately he goes for it, and he he just pounces, and she runs, and then Anne also runs, but she runs the other way because she's got other plans. Yeah, she takes the guy's uh, the stick. It was a stick for the cows because his job, I guess, right now is to make sure the cows don't escape the pen or the the field or whatever. Right. And she's opening up the thing and herding the cows out of there. Well, this guy is raping lore, or trying to. 
Yeah, like ultimately, like he's on top of her and she just kicks him in the balls ultimately and gets away. Uh, uh, it takes a while for her. It we does take a lot of a lot of struggle. A lot of uh, there is a lot of struggle. Yeah, it's a uh, lot of uh, yeah. yeah. I didn't like watching that scene. But yeah, meanwhile, Anne just lets all of the cattle out, all of them. This, this yep. was clearly the end game, or at least for Anne, just. You know, just let let's let them out. I Laura will take care of herself, or won't, <laughs> as, yeah. as the case may be. I got a hilarious idea for a prank. Why don't you go get raped by the farmer's kid, and I'll let the cows out. It'll be hilarious. And then, of course, is probably the nastiest thing that they do. Oh yeah, is this uh, this the bird? Yeah, they they sneak in. There, there's this guy who I think is someone who works for Anne's parents. Like I think he's a gardener on their estate somewhere. I I think so. Um, uh, and he has and just tons like, of pet birds. I, I think he's mute too. I believe sure. so. Uh, like he's involved in their ceremony later as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um took me a while to figure out because i thought they just found some bum from somewhere right uh and yeah the, the guy is not does not seem well there there yeah. does seem to be some problems uh it, it could be that he's mute but he also just seems kind of just deranged yeah it's hard yeah, to there's say something, something's not he, he's one of the guys who'd be like hmm, there's all not right teddy he's not right yeah i mean like he he does seem to pretty willingly take place in their whole satanic ceremony yeah, which includes whipping him yeah <laughs> into that too i don't know it's as really he's insane. carrying a cross across the field well, yeah he's he's their jesus <laughs> but he's in priest robes that they stole it's a whole thing <laughs> but like before that it's before that that they're killing his birds even though like he seems to sort of be a part of their coven <laughs> well i don't think he knows what he's a part of no no i don't think so um, but yeah no they're they're not killing his birds uh, no they kill one, one this time because if you kill all of them he'll be really sad for a while but he'll get over it but if you but, kill them off one by one yeah, it, it'll just hurt him more every time. Uh, and, like, they've really thought about that. It's, it's quite unpleasant. Uh, and it, it is a very harsh scene because they, they poison the bird and you just kind of watch it slowly die. I think they just drugged the bird in the actual scene, but it is hard to watch. Yeah, like, I was the whole time, I was looking for the credits for something like no animals were harmed in this. And it's like, well, it's in French. I'm not going to know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't uh, know. But um, I, I don't, I, I don't think they actually killed the bird. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and it then looked like it could have gone either way. True. Uh, and then we, we have that scene where, like, they're watching him grieve, and Anne is laughing. <laughs> it's oh, very yeah. Rude. Like, and As and this it's guys like crying over his. His pet bird, the guy just does not have much of anything. He, yeah. he has a strange life. Uh, and 
it's it's also after that like they he's like oh that's that's pretty funny we 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 let's now that we've watched this guy grieve let's go uh set fire to that guy's farm field and they go light a bunch of hay bales on fire and at, they, notably they go peek in on the guy for a while first to see what's happening with him at the dinner table yeah yeah where he's this is the the guy with the cows yes the guy from the field earlier right yeah yeah um so yeah yeah they're watching him uh, just having a normal one and decide to light everything on fire and everything like all the hay in the field they're going around they're lighting everything on fire oh yeah they start a lot of fires like this farm is going down <laughs> it's brutal like yeah actually they probably just killed this farm that's how much fire there was and and they're seen doing it. Mm-hmm. And this is when we get it's after this that we go to their ceremony, their big satanic ceremony. If if it feels like we're jumping around a lot, it's because the movie jumps around a lot. Yeah, uh, we don't really get a sense of how much time passes unless they happen to mention it. It's just all right, there was a fire. Now let's cut to the ceremony. Well, I sort of do feel that that captures the aimlessness of summer vacation in youth. Oh, definitely. It's just it's just a it, bunch of stuff happening because there there is no schedule and there's no supervision. Mm-hmm. Like this girl's left her on her own for two months with her parents away. Yeah, and I have no idea at what point any of this stuff takes place. It just sort of all takes place over summer vacation and it could be a few days. It could all be like months. It's, it's really hard to say. Like, like the bird thing and the fires that might not have even happened on the same night. We don't know. Right. Yeah. It just sort of, that's the way they they change their clothes. Right. Uh, So in the satanic ceremony, uh, they whip the guy while he's in the priestly robes and carrying a cross. So playing their sort of Jesus, uh, I guess. Jesus, I guess. Uh, They Uh, get married to each other. Yep. Yep, they get married. The mute guy officiates the wedding. Yeah. And so they uh, take a little bit of each other's blood with some of the stolen wafers. And to notice, notably, the guy, before he gives them their wafers, he eats a bunch of them. Yeah, and he's just shoveling them in his mouth later, too. Like, this guy must have nothing. Yeah, I don't know. And, like, it's free candy, I guess. You know, they... I guess. uh, After they, they get married, they go into the forest with their candles. They do, like, a whole procession to the lake or river. A lake, I think it is. I guess it's a lake. They get in the boat with the fake priest kind of rowing them around. uh, And he's eating the wafers, and then they dump all of the wafers in the water, and they push him in, too, just for fun. Just for kicks. Yeah, just for kicks, and he's trying to get up. and He's trying um, to get back in the boat, and they won't let him. Yeah, they keep, like, kicking him and hitting him with the oar. (laughs) And, like... They end up in the water and they struggle with him for a while. And then like he chases them back through the forest. And like, I don't know what his intent was here at this point. Is yeah. he like raging out? Well, I don't know. At one point, like everybody's like falling on the floor and he licks one of the girl's leg. Yeah, he's gross. He's like, oh, you're a rapist too. I guess. Uh, here I, f- well, I can still feel bad for your bird. 
Yeah, and that, like they laugh at him and they tease him all the way, and they they run back to their little chateau and they lock him out. Yeah, and I think that's the last we see of him. Uh, no, of. he shows up definitely at least once later. Uh, where oh, there is a point where he's like just staring, staring at her. Yeah, uh, <laughs> where it seems like he's he's on her and he knows what's up. Well, I hope he does. He was kind of there for most of it. He was there for most of it, but like I think at this point he's on tour about the birds. Oh, yeah. Because that's after she kills another one. But that's a little bit later on. Right. Um cuz like when we what we next see is Laura has gone away on a vacation with her parents. So Anne is just like oh, biking. Oh yeah. Down and Anne's kind of like sort of going a little crazy even though it's only been two days yeah so like she she bikes to town and there's a love letter from laura laura's also going crazy with the separation just let him be gay yeah exactly good god so uh right this is when Anne breaks into the guy's house again uh and uh rips up the underwear (laughs) burns some underwear tears some in half yeah she just rips up a bunch of his clothes and then uh, this bird she kills with her bare hands. She just squeezes it. And then she cries, which is really weird. Like, this yeah. sort of feels like it's just not the same without Laura there. I don't know. I, I couldn't I couldn't figure out the crying there, honestly. Yeah, like, it, it does seem that she's doing this out of her devotion to sin, maybe not so much out of wanting to do harm, but like now she's just like, she's locked in. It's it's hard to say. It's a strange, elusive performance at times. Yeah. Yeah. They, they don't really talk about how they're feeling at any given time. Not really. Um, But Uh, yeah, yeah. She cries. uh, And that's about it. Yeah, uh, I think that's it. So next is when they encounter the motorist. They're biking together at night. Oh, yeah. And there's this guy on the side of the road, uh, ran out of the gas. So. And they're on in like this pretty isolated rural area. And he's like, I've been here for an hour and I haven't even seen a single car go by. Uh, what do I even do here? Where do I go to uh, get this dealt with? And they just invite him to their chateau. Yeah, which uh, she so he's riding on the back of Anne's bicycle as they go there. Yeah. And and, that, and the chateau, this is the first time we've seen it really since they introduced it and it was all trash. They cleaned it all up nicely. It's pretty nice. Screen. Yeah, it's it's like a, a kind of swinging pad. It's not bad. I I'd, I'd, I'd hang out there. Yeah. It looks like, you know, a cool hippie pad, basically. Yeah, yeah, like like something we might set up. Yeah. Uh, and so they, they strip down to their underwear in front of him and offer him whiskey. Yeah, and then, and then when they give it to him, he's like, don't, aren't you two going to have any? And I'm like, it's like nope. 14, these are 14-year-old girls. Oh, but this is France. It's France. Yeah. <laughs> is it France oh, you or don't get Spain? It's France. It's France. Okay. Yeah, this is France. Uh, they're speaking French. Right. I don't know where in France. Uh, this one guy's state, I guess. Yeah. Um, 
and like they have their big book of sins on their coffee table so he looks through the book of sins it's like huh okay this is strange and i think this is where they start like barraging him with questions about his wife and about how whether or not he's faithful and about sex and yeah they call it their marriage research yeah oh yeah that's right (laughs) and like the two of them in underwear surround him like they both like sit really close to him on the couch to uh start asking him about his wife and family very pointedly yeah (laughs) what do they say like are you a good lover you don't look like you would be. Yeah, they're uh, they're they're very combative, but like they're mm-hmm. also teasing, and they're both they're well, like it's it's a very much the same thing as with the farmer guy in the field. They're trying to oh, yeah. get him to go after they're, lore. They're, they're trying to like seduce him, or I don't know the reason for this one because they don't really play a prank while this is going on. Maybe this is the prank. Yeah, I don't know. I I think maybe she did want to maybe kill him. Like th- this feels like, you know, we're we're both into true crime, and this is a thing with serial killers where they just give themselves allowances. This kind of feels like hers. Like, okay, well, you know, if he attacks my friend, then I'm allowed to kill him, and it's you know, I, then it's the right time to escalate to murder. Kind of feels like that. I don't know if she thought this far out ahead, at least not consciously. I don't think it's conscious exactly, but like they brought him back here for a reason. And it doesn't seem like they had any interest in having sex with him, but they did want to cause him some sort of trouble. And like, what were they going to do with him once he was here anyways? I I don't know. I feel like they didn't know either because they just randomly met him. They weren't planning this out. Right. But it does sort of feel like this whole thing was definitely going to end with this guy dead <laughs> if he didn't get out of there. Uh, and well, he does end up dead. He's He goes after Lore, he takes the bait, and, and just clubs him to death with firewood. And they roll him up in a carpet and throw him off a boat. <laughs> they dump him in the lake with they all the hosts. The yep, yep. And that's the end of that. No, it's not. Right. So it's I don't know how long after, but we hear from a servant possibly the next morning or possibly a morning a week later uh, that someone had broken into their chateau and totally wrecked up the place. I never figured that out because their fight wasn't that intense. No. And like she does say not to say anything to her parents about it, but I don't think it's from this. I think the bird guy did it i that's kind of where i came that's kind of what i came up with too because this Um, is also the scene where he's staring at her and won't stop staring at her like she goes into the house and goes into a room and he's still staring at her through a window Mm -hmm. yeah he so that that's what i figure happened here yeah i think so because like i think he saw them the night before or whenever it was uh when they were running with the guy or maybe he just figured out who's been killing his birds well i think it's a mix of those things yeah uh what was it here uh oh yeah she it's it's because she notices the book of sins still there 
within the wrecked up place. And that's when she kind of freaks and runs to the house. And that's when she notices the bird guy staring. So I think she's aware that the bird guy saw the book of sins and is aware of all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. At this point, they're all kind of freaking out because uh, they go back to school. I, or is this where they go back to school? Yeah, pretty much. It's it's like back to school the next day, basically. And when they're biking to school, the motorist's car is still there on the road. Yeah. Uh, and that day at school, they get questioned about him. Yeah, like, yeah, they, they each got questioned individually. Lore and, first. Yeah, lore first. And th- they come to the conclusion that they definitely suspected the murder of this man, which who knows if right. they do or not. Well, Laura's really worried about it, but Anne kind of isn't. She's still got just supreme confidence in her plan. And because, you know, her plan is uh, not really to get away with it, ultimately, as it turns out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) the end game of their... I don't know if this was their original end game, like they were always going to do this, or if this is just... I guess it kind of had to end this way because sooner or later they were going to kill somebody and sooner or later they were going to not cover it up properly. Yeah. And like, I, I don't, my, like my biggest question about this is how much lore is aware that this is where it's going. Uh, even during the final sequence, I don't know if she knows that this is what's happening until it happens. Because we don't have any scenes of Anne talking about doing this. We just know that they're doing the recitation. Mm -hmm. We do see, I think, like the headmaster or somebody getting a letter from Anne, but it's in French and the subtitles don't tell me what it says, but I bet it was important. Yeah, I don't know. The camera lingered on it, so we were supposed to read it and know what it said. Yeah, and like, I can sort of read French, but not handwritten and not that quickly. <laughs> uh, so, but all. like also in here i i'm assuming that probably this was a letter sent by the bird guy this is probably my general guess that he sent a letter to the priest about this because like it's it's all closing in on them uh, because emil who is the guy the the farmer guy that they messed with oh him. he talks to the police that's right they mentioned that yeah, that, and he he was aware of them committing the arson. He was aware of them letting the cows out. And also their bike tracks were found by the car. Oh, it could be anybody's bike tracks. <laughs> it could be. It truly it could, could be. be. Uh, and also notably, they haven't found the body yet at this point. They will. Oh, they certainly will. That's a, that, that uh, I can't remember. One of them even says they're going to find the body in like, a week, probably, which, yeah, given their disposal method of the body, yep, that body's going to get found. Oh, absolutely. It's just, like, right by their house, too. Uh, <laughs> yes. So, like, she's totally aware that this is where it's going, and she knows the walls are closing in, but she's got her end game in plan. So they perform at the school play. Uh, and uh, yeah, after... After we watch the, uh, you know, the little kids do their thing first, it's like... Which was pretty adorable. cute. It's pretty cute. It was cute. And uh, they have, and, like, these little bird hats. Yeah. It's cute. Uh, and then the two of them do 
this sort of creepy anti-Catholic recitation. And and I think the whole thing is sort of a subversion. Of, it, it's sort of a, a satanic prayer, basically. Yeah, yeah. It was way too fast for me to really get it feels, what they were saying. It feels like an Aleister Crowley style thing. It it feels very uh, like a left-hand path, uh, mm. Thelema type thing that they're doing. It's It's very like... You know, I, I'm going to do what I want to do, uh, pledging allegiance to Satan overall. And, and interestingly, all the uh, all the parents of the audience are loving it. Oh, they're so digging it. Like, they're getting standing applause. Oh, man, they love and, it. And, and the nuns are like, what the fuck are they doing? Are they crazy? <laughs> yeah, the nuns and the priests are like, uh, what the this fuck? This is what they rehearsed? And just... It's interspersed with them reacting and all the parents just obliviously like, oh, yeah, I mean, this is a great performance. They're just completely oblivious. And so, again, I I feel like this is an interesting contrast to the scene with the priest earlier where they're so impressed by his forceful uh, sermon against magazines that the content is just completely not there. It doesn't matter what any of it is. It's just like, oh, it's a performance and nothing else. Yeah, I think these people are just like, oh, they're saying it with such power, with such enthusiasm. Doesn't yeah. Matter, yeah, like it doesn't matter what they're saying. I didn't even think to uh, contrast this with the pre-scene earlier, but yeah, it's this is a lot like that. Yeah, and, and it's it's pretty funny. And like, I, I feel that this is maybe the best moment of satire in the movie, because while this movie is very grungy and harsh, it also strikes me as extremely satirical. Yeah. But, uh, but here so, particularly. Yes, exactly. Uh, and so for their grand finale, they douse themselves with lighter fluid and light themselves on fire. And people are still cheering for a little while while they're doing this. And well, I like, guess, yeah, they think it's just a stage trick at first, I guess. Yeah, and then it becomes soon apparent that it isn't. Well, because they just keep on burning. Yeah. Uh, and, that, and that's the how it ends. Catch on fire. Yeah. 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 That's it. Everyone's panicking, trying to get out, and that's basically it. Yeah. Uh, wild ending. Really, really wild ending. Really wild opening. Yeah. <laughs> Just a lot of chaos in between. It's it's a it's a different kind of movie. It's it's very it's, psychotronic. It's a trip. Um, yeah. You. I felt dirty watching it. A lot yeah, of it's, at various it's, different times. I felt like. I felt like, yeah, somebody, I'm going to jail for watching this. <laughs> it's sleazy. It, it definitely feels sleazy. And I, I think that's sort of a feature of it as well. It's sort of meant to feel forbidden and nasty and grungy because it is sort of really living in that anti-Catholic milieu. Like, it, it feels like something that was created to be a video nasty before the video nasties existed, right? <laughs> Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> this is just asking to get on that list. Uh, but yeah, I, it was very interesting. Like, it's it's a hard one to necessarily recommend because it's yeah. There's some really difficult stuff to watch. There's some stuff that's very unpleasant. Uh, like the 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 rape scenes are not. I mean, I don't like rape scenes anyway, but th- these ones are these ones are rough. Right. Even though it, it's all just kind of like 
setting up for it almost happening and then not quite but like it's it's there's a lot of struggle and it it, it is unpleasant there's a lot of screaming uh and the the scenes with them killing the birds are both very very unpleasant like they're they're quite harsh uh and like i i really credit the film for making it so unpleasant because a lot of this could be very funny and a lot of it is very funny so it could be i i I wasn't laughing no i mean there there are a couple things that i did laugh at i laughed at the naked priest and her laughing at the naked priest uh and you know there's a few things like that but yeah a lot of it is extremely harsh yeah i don't know if i uh I don't know if I can recommend it or not. Um, if somebody were asked to ask me if I recommended this movie, I'd have to sit down with them and be like, okay, what do you not want to see? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's super interesting, and I think it's very effective. Like, it, it's it's got a point to make, and I think it really makes the point. <laughs> we, we, we feel how much it seethes towards just the obliviousness of this uh, parish and all of these people and just sort of uh, the way it's looking at the, the whole Catholic structure, I guess. Uh, I, I feel all of that. That stuff really comes through. And especially if I were more familiar with all of the ceremony of it, I think it would feel all that much more blasphemous. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, it does. It does definitely feel like this movie was one of those designed to offend movies. Yeah. Uh, and like very specifically to offend Catholic sensibilities. Uh-huh. So I, I would say maybe if you're, uh, specifically a lapsed Catholic, maybe you might get more out of this than anyone else. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, uh, so, it's, it's hard to say. <laughs> right. Uh, so any last thoughts on uh, that one? Or on, on del- Don't Deliver Us From Evil? Well, I'm going to say, um, yeah, you can go ahead and deliver me from this one. That's okay. <laughs> I, I think it's a very interesting one. I don't know how soon I'll return to it, but I probably will at some point because it is fascinating. And I do think it's one that thematically will be sort of resonant if I'm a little more familiar with the material. Uh, so that's replaced in the stacks with uh, another movie from the same label, Mondo Macabro, who are really cool. Uh, it's Sins of the Flesh, which is a n- another uh, probably very sleazy '70s French film. Uh, this one's about the dep- uh, uh, Benoit Landru, the idle and depraved son of a rich industrialist. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sounds kind of uh, a variation on a theme, and so he runs into two people uh, who are both like one of them's trying to steal his car, and there's this lady who is running away from her stepfather, and he just kind of gets with the two of them and he's really into voyeurism and he uh, plans with the two of them to murder his parents and take over his factory. Okay. (laughs) I don't know. It sounds pretty wild. Just a crazy psychedelic seventies French erotic drama nonsense. looks pretty fun. Could be interesting. Yeah. All right, uh, so I guess we'll move on to part two. Yeah. 
All right, so welcome to our second part where we're first uh, going to talk a bit about Hellraiser before we get to our second film, uh, Sorority Babes in the Slime Ball, Bolarama. Uh, but first, a bit on Clive Barker's classic 1986-87 movie, Hellraiser, uh, which is your first time seeing it or any of the Hellraiser pinhead uh, series. Exactly, yes. Um <laughs> I find <laughs> I found it interesting. It wasn't what I expected. Um, I thought that the Pinhead and his gang were actually the villains, but they're not in, in this one, at least not exactly. No, they're sort of tangential. They're they're sort of beyond good and evil. It, it seems like it, at least in the first few of them, in they're this, just sort of minions. Yeah, I think in this they're more here to. Uh, just establish and enforce the rules of this universe. Yeah. Rather uh, than they're, they're, rather than actually do any evil. Yeah, they they uh, meet out the justice of hell <laughs> in, <laughs> in various ways, and it's I, I feel it's a good pairing specifically with "Don't Deliver Us from Evil" because it has kind of a similar energy. Not quite to the same degree, certainly, but the same sort of uh, very jaundiced uh, view of human morality as well as uh, the church. Just religion in general. Hmm. Yeah, kind of. I didn't really see much. It's not quite as much of it, but it's certainly a thing within uh, Barker. And uh, th this one is just it is a very nihilistic movie. <laughs> Oh, oh, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, like this one lady, when faced with the prospect of eventually uh, getting that hot D that she had that one night, she just slowly starts turning into Cruella de Vil. Yeah, she murders a lot of people just because she's uh, kind of interested in getting with her husband's brother. Who is a drifter, uh, as far as I can tell who uh, fell in with the wrong crowd, uh, Pinhead's crowd, actually, and now he manages to escape from them somehow as a rotting corpse who can talk. Yeah, and, and like the more blood he uh, accumulates, the more he kills, the more his body kind of regenerates from when we saw him uh, get torn to bits early on in the film. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He, uh, <laughs> yeah, he gets torn into pieces. We don't really find out how he escaped from them, do we? No, it's not really clear. I, I guess there's just sort of this netherworld. Like, we, we do see a little bit more of how hell works in this universe in the subsequent films. I've only seen the first three. So after that, I don't know. It, it <laughs> from my understanding, at number four is where it starts to get pretty bad, but... Uh, I've heard people defend some of the later ones. Yeah, yeah, so have I. Um, this one's good. This one's pretty good. Uh, it's not as outright fun as you might expect. Like, it's it's a more serious movie. It's kind of more about sexuality than it is about horror. Yeah, I'd say so. There, There's a lot of sex. Or, or not, like, a lot of sex, but a lot of repression. Uh, yes. Which is big in horror. You know, re repression is a big part of the horror genre uh, and a big part of the other movie we discussed earlier. So, yeah, it's kind of fit together in that way. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I thought it was a really great movie. I like the idea that uh, our villain wasn't the the monsters from the commercials, but uh, this basically he ends up looking like an Attack on Titan guy in a suit by the end of it. Yeah, it's really it's kind gross. Of funny. When later he's got a shirt on, like a nice dress shirt, but like he's still all sticky and bloody and it's just all coming through the shirt. And it's like, dude, why did you just put that shirt on to ruin it? Come on. Because <laughs> it's his brother's shirt and he hates his brother. He really I does guess. hate his brother. Uh, and like, I, as to your point, I like that in the credits, he is specifically Frank the Monster. Oh, really? I didn't even... <laughs> Partially, it's because uh, Frank is played by two different actors. The guy in the big sticky monster suit is Frank the Monster, and then Frank is credited as, you know, just the guy who plays him in the flashback. Right, right, of that one. When he's sexy. When he's, yeah. And it's so hard to imagine that this guy could have ever been sexy. (laughs) Certainly when he's just a gooey thing. He's so gross looking. Well, yeah, and then he's like trying to hook up with the niece um, yeah later on daughter uh, um, who's sort of the protagonist of the film and definitely the protagonist of. of the second film I'm, I'm pretty sure the movie I, my recollection I haven't watched it since last Halloween but I, I watched the first three last October and my recollection is that she is the main character of the second one like it follows immediately after this one okay okay um, yeah, because she ends up finding the puzzle blo- block that summons Pinhead's gang. The uh, lament the configuration. Yeah. Um, and just apparently only certain people can solve it. But this thing seems really easy to solve because she figures it out immediately. Yeah, I guess you just need to touch it a certain way. I don't know. You yeah. need to need it. I, I feel like it, it works for the people who need it to work. Did she really need it to work? Well, yeah, she did. She needed she, it. Like, just she not needed for the reason to, that they thought yeah, that she, she would need it. It, it, she has it. She has to solve a problem with it. Uh, whereas, yeah. like, some people, you know, they, it's, it's because they want it. And if they want it, you know, the puzzle box is ready to take them. Yeah, but one thing you got to learn is... Uh, don't uh, don't mess around with things that are going to summon devils. Even if you're not summoning Satan right away, you still got to be careful of what you do summon because. Uh, got to pay the piper. Got to pay the piper. And most of us can't even handle a minor imp. No. <laughs> the most um, minor of imps. The most minor of imps. So Uncle that's about Uncle. all I've got. To, <laughs> that's about all I have to say about Hellraiser, although I do think it'd be worth doing an episode on it at some point. Oh, certainly. There, there's a lot to dig into in that movie. Uh, but our main movie, or our main second movie, I guess, uh, is the great David Dakota sorority babes in the slime ball bull rama. <laughs> this movie. I love this stupid movie. It's so much fun. So I've seen this movie like three or four times now. So uh, please begin kind of your your initial impressions. All right. So this movie is like the 80s peeping Tom movie where like you're, the, the heroes just want to see boobs. And uh, well, it starts out that way anyways. And, frats and, just, and like, sororities. Yeah. Frats and sororities in college. 
and uh, hazing, hazing and rituals, and then breaking into a bowling alley and imps and demons and George Bush Flower. Yes. <laughs> All that stuff. Yeah. The, the, it, it starts out pretty typical and then it kind of goes. It kind of goes a little off the rails. Um, it's uh, it's weirdly woke for its time, but not that woke because it still does all the shit. But it's so but, much more self-aware than most. Yes, it's definitely a very self-aware. It's and not self-aware, like not self-aware in a way that undercuts it. Yeah, like, like, it's it's self-aware in a way that. Oh, you're right there. Yeah, yeah. I just had to readjust. Okay. Uh, it's it's not self-aware in a way that undercuts the. Well, I mean, it's not a scary movie, and it doesn't try to be, but it's it's a funny horror movie that isn't trying to satirize horror movies. Like it's it's not doing a scream type thing. It's not sort of undercutting any of the seriousness. It's just kind of self-aware of the genre tropes and and is like. But we really know what this is about, right? Yeah. It's just a, a fun, goofy movie. Uh, so we, we start with our our, our frat boys. <laughs> okay, so we've got... we got fat, drunk perv, uh, nerd perv, and uh, nerdy, I guess, nice guy? What, what's the... He's our the, movie guy. Yeah, the movie guy. Yeah, like when we're introduced to him, he's watching. I think it's a previous David Dakota film, Creepazoids. Okay. Uh, and he's t- completely engrossed in the movie, and he doesn't want to go on the peeping mission. And he he's kind of really cajoled along on it uh, by the other two. So the, the peeping mission, uh, the sorority, whatever they're called, I Tri Delta. Try Delta, uh, you know, triple D. Oh, geez. <laughs> uh, they're, they're led by Babs, who just loves the initiation ceremony so much. She's that so the, into it. She's so into it. So much that she's got a reputation around the whole college that these three loser frat, loser nerds, like, know about her specific love of paddling the new initiates. Yeah, they're like, the oh, Babs is doing this. We're going to see naked girls. We should go. <laughs> and like, and it's, it's the same at her, her own sorority. Like her two mini bosses are like, Babs, come on. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're saying to her, it's like, we all know the real reason that you get so into these, uh, these initiations. And she doesn't even deny. It. She's like, yeah, but don't fucking say it. <laughs> don't blow up my spot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have to imagine like, she climbed and fought and struggled to get this position because she got smacked on the bottom once and she's like, oh my god, this has to be me. And like she, she's just completely committed to it the whole time. She is, uh, she's very fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like she comes and paddles them. Uh, the other two, I think, spray them with whipped cream. But like first, in the meantime, our our guys sneak up and watch through the window, of course. Yeah, and they're like, well, 
I get oh after the one guy first gets shit face wasted off of one beer. I think a single PBR or no, yeah. I think it's a Miller Genuine Draft or something like that. And you know he didn't finish it. Oh, probably not. And he is completely gone for a while. Just for shit happens. Most of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. So they decide, you know, the window's not good enough. They're gonna get a closer look and go inside. Yeah, they're gonna go break in to really get their peep on. And they do that thing where it's like the three heads <laughs> vertical in the doorway watching. So classic. <laughs> and uh, of course, so Babs sees them doing this and uh, comes up from behind and gets all of them with the paddle and has them tumble into uh, the bathroom where they're watching the girls shower where like notably just showering in like an open room with no curtains or anything. Yeah. Uh, for the movie, obviously. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so it just goes for it. Yep. So it's time to figure out how we're going to punish these three peeping toms and, and continue the initiation for the two, uh, sorority babes whose name i don't remember anybody's names except for babs and taffy and taffy is only named taffy for one reason oh you gotta remember spider although she has not shown up yet oh right i do remember spider but yeah she i forgot her name that's fair uh calvin is the main guy like the movie kid Mm -hmm. uh and Um, yeah i don't really remember any of the other names either The the fat j- jock college boy. Y- you know this character. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so the the plan is to have them break into the Bolarama in the mall and steal a trophy. So the sorority girls, the, the new initiates, have to go with these three losers. I don't know why they're being punished. They weren't peeping. They got peeped on. Well, they're not being punished. It's just more of their initiation. Right. They right. they just kind of have to do it because it's part of the initiation now. Uh, and notably, Babs, Babs's dad owns this mall, she says, which is why they're able to go in and, like, peep on them through the security cameras. Right, which they spend a lot of the first half of the movie doing that. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think they pretty much go straight to the mall after that, don't they? Yes, they, they pretty There's much no- go straight to the bowling alley. And they see somebody's already there robbing the place, trying to open up the cash register with, like, a crowbar or something. Well, first there's this whole scene where they're outside the door and, like, our, I think it's Keith, or one of the guys is, like, making this whole plan for how they're going to trick the alarm system and get in. And then the drunk guy just pushes on the door and it's already open (laughs) because (laughs) someone's already broken in. (laughs) Oh, yeah, right, right. Uh, and this turns out to be Linnea Quigley as Spider, who's this uh, biker punk chick, I guess. I guess. The only thing I know we really find out about her is that she is breaking in here for some reason. She wants some money. She wants money. Like when, when they, the they catch... register of the bowling alley, I guess, is the place to get it. Well, it's it's the first place she looks and she doesn't find much because like she's starting to open up the vending machines later, right? Oh yeah, right, right. It, it clearly was kind of a bust. The the 
robbing the bowling alley after they closed was uh, not a not a smart call. I, I feel like most places in a mall, having worked at a place in a mall, uh, you take all the stuff out of the cash register at the end of the night and either take it to the bank or put it in the safe. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what happens. I mean, I don't know if maybe it wasn't quite that uh, complex when uh, when this was made in the early 80s, but <laughs> it just seems like common sense. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe she just didn't know the inner workings of jobs. I guess so. She doesn't really seem like someone who has held jobs. That doesn't seem like her deal. No, no. Well, breaking into bowling alleys is a job, I guess. Sure. Uh, so she, for whatever reason, helps them break into the trophy room. I guess that's where she starts, like, trying to get into the other stuff. She's just looking for more shit to steal, I guess. I guess, yeah. Yeah, what ends up, how did they end up dropping the trophy? I'm not sure exactly how they, they do it. They just do end up fumbling it. Uh, <laughs> and they yeah, un- and then, the imp. Yeah, the imp. So there's an imp. <laughs> and he's he's a very obvious rubber puppet with pretty limited motion. Yeah, it's. Uh, it's but uh, enthusiastically performed. It's it's a really fun voice performance. It kind of reminds me of like I want to say like the dragon from Mulan. It, it the performance. Okay, yeah. Kind it's, of. This guy named Dookie Flyswatter, who's just a, a big B-movie <laughs> guy, uh, he's in a horror punk band called Haunted Garage. Cool. All right. <laughs> and yeah, he's really fun as uh, fun. the imp. Uh, and the imp is immediately like, oh, thank you for letting me out of that trophy. Uh, I, I'm going to grant every one of you a wish. <laughs> Oh my and, god! But the, <laughs> and, the, and then the one, the movie guy, like they're all talking about it, and the movie guy's like, I, I, I don't know, man. Like sometimes, what if, what if this is one of those things where like the wish kind of goes bad? I, I, I just, I heard that could happen sometimes. <laughs> really excellent line. Uh, it's him and uh, Spider are both really skeptical. It's like we're not gonna fall for any creepy wish scheme. No, but no, everyone no. else is into it. Especially uh, the the chubby guy, uh, Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy is the big guy, and he's oh, okay. the first one. He's like, "Okay, I want lots of riches," uh, and so the imp generates just this big pile of gold bars for him. And he spends the next like five minutes in the background, like just lying next to these gold bars and holding them. That's that's the that's what he does for the next little while. Yeah, just romancing them. I I love that his first thing that he says, what he wants to do with the money, is get his nails done. (laughs) That was pretty Uh, funny. I'm going to get my nails and hair done. Uh, And then he moves on to various sports cars and so forth. Uh, The One of the girls wishes to be the prom queen because she never got to be the prom queen in high school. Yeah, so she just gets a fancy like dress put on her and a spotlight on her, and she just spins around, and that's that's her whole thing for the next five minutes is spinning around. It really satisfied her. It didn't take a whole lot. Uh, yeah. And then like the really weird wish that you kind of know is going to happen in a movie like this, and normally would be pretty gross, but is handled so expertly here, is that yeah. the horny guy, please. 
the horny guy wishes to hook up with uh, the other girl, the one who hasn't already had a wish. So, or so the imp makes her fall in love with him. Like, no, the imp makes her fall into mind-boggling lust with him. Yeah, and, and this she, is this is the gorgeous Michelle Bauer, who's like a major '80s scream queen, who's in lots of stuff. Oh, okay, okay. So they go to, I guess, this locker room or something, and begin the long, long process of her trying to have sex with him. And him As, just resisting enough. Just <laughs> enough. Like, but like, well, he's actually, not... I kind of thought that, yeah, he, he, he's, he's like, um, you go ahead. I think you have a more fully formed thought than I do. Well, like, I, I think it's really interesting the way it slowly develops. He's... He's excited about it, but he realizes pretty rapidly that it's like she's really going for it and he becomes uncomfortable. Like very rapidly, he becomes uncomfortable. It takes a while for him to start actively saying like, whoa, whoa, slow down. What's going on here? I, I don't think this is good. And he does specifically say, I don't think you'd be acting like this if it weren't for a magic spell. And that's not okay. Yeah, but but it takes a long time to get there. Like he's these two are going at it for probably a good half the movie. Well, yeah, just it cuts back to them periodically through the rest of the action for quite a while. And and she just gets like almost completely naked while she's trying to strip the clothes off him. But he will not uh, go with her. (laughs) Yeah, but just kind of like, oh, okay, well, um, well, you see, I think that. Okay, maybe we should slow, maybe, and, and then just cut back to whatever else is happening. Right. And, like, just ultimately, I I really think it's interesting that this film specifically brings up the idea of consent in instances of, you know, magic. Because uh, it's something that's so common in a lot of these sort of trashy 80s movies and it's this oh, yeah. weird wish fulfillment thing. And it's cool that this movie stops like, that's still not okay, though. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's pretty gross. And, well, it is pretty go- gross because this woman's personality is fucked up for the rest of her very short life. Yeah, I don't really know what, like, uh, like it's, it's kind of weird because the other two, their wishes go kind of awry pretty quickly. Because, like, while we're, like, long before we see things uh, happening with them, it, it turns out that uh, Jimmy's gold is just a bunch of painted wood. And and the prom dress just turns into these rags. Yeah. Which, like Cinderella style almost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they, they realize that, but like nothing really happens with that. Like that wish was kind of cursed from the beginning, so it's just yeah. allowed to constantly play out. And I think that's yeah. also kind of an interesting commentary that like, no, no, this is already a curse. You you just let it play out and it's a curse. Whereas these two, the like, you know, they have to turn sour. Right. Uh, So also the imp uh, attacks the, the trios through the camera. Oh yes. Yes. The Babs and the henchmen. Yeah. Uh, and one of them is turned into the Bride of Frankenstein. Uh, the other one just, I don't know, generic green zombie face. <laughs> yeah, kind of like almost, it, 
She had like this white, red and white striped shirt that was like kind of reminded me of Where's Waldo. Yeah. I think it's it's a specific reference to something, but I don't know what. Yeah, I couldn't really place it. But like the other one is 100% Bride of Frankenstein. She even spends most of the rest of the movie hissing like the Bride of Frankenstein. Uh-huh. Uh, and Babs just flees. Like she gets away. She's out of. Uh, uh, she jumps out of the way when like the stuff comes through, like the lightning, I guess, comes through the yeah. camera and the screen. Uh, and she runs off, but she gets knocked out uh, because the doors are electrified to keep anyone from getting out. Oh, right, right. Yeah. So everyone's trapped in the mall. Yeah. Um, uh, so the minions c- start attacking the group then, and Jimmy is the first to go. He gets his head put into a bowling ball polisher, doesn't he? I think that's what it is. Uh, I wasn't sure exactly what it is, but like they they do ultimately tear his head off and bowl with it because you gotta. I mean, if it's a horror movie in a bowling alley, there's got to be a head rolled down a bowling alley. Yep, Uh, gutter ball, by the way. Gutter gutter head. Gutter head. (laughs) Gutter head. Then Uh, Taffy, the prom queen, uh, gets killed by. Oh right, they, they taffy pull, of course. The the two minions just yeah, uh, pull just, her in half. Just pull and, her apart. And and we just see them starting to, and then like a couple minutes later, Spider comes across her, and like that we see legs on one side of a wall, and then we see the torso on another side. It's a nice lo-fi effect. It's pretty funny. It's pretty. It's it's pretty good. It gets the point across. Uh, and. Um, one of them also gets Keith, uh, the the guy who was uh, not not having sex. Like he gets away from her. Like he gets her to like go do something, and he like takes off into the kitchen. And right. I think he gets his face shoved into a deep fryer. I think that's what happened to him. Yeah, or something like that. Like he he, he gets his face cooked off, basically. Uh huh. Um, when do they run into the janitor? Because the janitor spends like the first half of the movie uh, trapped in a broom closet. We just oh, cut yeah. to him every now and again, like freaking out of the broom closet. Well, and we, we see him get trapped in there multiple times because there's a couple times he gets out. But at the same time, uh, the sorority, like the, the leaders uh, close the door again because they're in the uh the room that they're spying on is directly adjacent to the room he's trapped in. <laughs> right, right. So whenever they leave, they like bump the door closed and he gets trapped again. And every moment with Judge, with uh, Buck Flower as the janitor just muttering to himself is just a treasure. I love every second of it. Oh, it gets better with him, too. He's so um, funny in this movie. He's really good. Uh, I don't know. I, I think it's. After they fight, I, I think Babs is turned into a demon after they kill the generic one. Because the generic girl is attacking Babs behind the bowling alley, or like be- behind the lanes. Right, right. And then, oh, yeah, uh, then she think... gets shoved through the wall and they throw a bowling ball and it, it like, destroys her head i guess something yeah something like that 
because like they they go down the bowling alley and they're or they go down to the lane and like it's like well she seems to be dead like she's not breathing it's it's kind of like the the thing with uh the borrower when he has the dog head oh yeah <laughs> like oh well i guess it's dead i mean it's not breathing what else is there i don't know yeah yeah right right um and but, I think it's after that that uh the two of them find the janitor and they have the whole big info dump where he tells them the entire story oh but it's it's, it's so good. really hard to follow because it's an onion on the belt story it's a very onion on my belt story uh george buckflower just making a meal out of this info dump sequence <laughs> And he's got, like, this hearing aid, right, so he can't hear what they're saying in reaction to his stuff. So they're, like, basically telling him to shut up. And well, it's always like, Spider. Yeah, every yeah. time Spider interrupts him, he just kind of goes on with it. He he assumes it's a completely different thing that she said. Yeah. He's like, yeah, oh, like, like shut it, yeah, they called the like, cops. Oh, they called the cops. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. Uh, and there was a few more times like this and. Basically, what happened was, uh, my understanding is that a guy wanted to get really good at bowling, so he summoned a minor imp. Uh, it went bad, and he trapped the imp in a trophy, and it takes about ten minutes to tell that story. Yeah, so like he was really bad at bowling, and then suddenly he got really good, and then also anyone who was ever mean to him started dying. Uh, and right. ultimately it turned out like, okay, there's this evil imp and long story short, I trapped it in the bowling trophy. Uh, so and why did the, he... <laughs> the guy who was blamed for, or the, the guy, like the bad bowler ended up being executed for the murders. He also mentioned. And, and, oh yeah. Oh, I missed that bit. <laughs> but they, they asked him, it's like, well, if he's trapped in the bowling trophy, why didn't you? Why didn't you get rid of the trophy? Oh, I don't want to touch that black magic voodoo stuff. Yeah. He's like, well, I don't want to mess with that stuff. And like, yeah, okay, fair enough. I get it. That's cool. Uh, but he does reveal to them that the way there, he gives them two important uh, pieces of information that you can use magic against itself. And uh, the way to capture the imp is to just like close it up in a small space again. Right. Um, I can't remember how they end up doing it, uh, but I do remember. <laughs> I remember what ends up happening to the janitor. Because uh, <laughs> my my favorite moment in the movie, honestly, is his final line. <laughs> yeah, because because they have this plan, and then they say like, "Okay, listen for us. Uh, we're gonna knock on the door when we're when we're done and it's safe." So the Bride of Frankenstein comes and knocks on the door, and he opens it up, and she takes out this knife, and he looks at her, and he says, do you want to do it, or do you want <laughs> Please, go ahead. He says, God damn it, I hate that motherfucking imp, and she's stabbing him. <laughs> so good. Like, there's, there's just, like, a pause, and, like, she's holding the knife up and doing, like, the Bride of Frankenstein. <sighs> and it's just, like... A good comic take of him yelling the line. So good. Absolutely hysterical. It's it's beautiful. Like it's it's I it's, it's so tremendous. Funny. Like every single moment with Buckflower in this movie, A plus. Really uh, is, really so is. So Babs kills Lisa, the the one who was trying to get with the guy who who was like had the love spell or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and then like she goes and attacks her with a giant paddle and she's in like a whole BDSM outfit now. Right. Oh yeah. That outfit. Uh, anyway. Um... <laughs> and then uh, she gets burned to death with, or like uh, Calvin throws a Molotov cocktail and gets her. Right, right. And Spider's upset. Is like, oh, too bad. I liked her outfit. I really liked that outfit. Uh, and then I think it's just the Bride of Frankenstein one who's who's left, and she's after them with an axe. Uh, and then Spider gets a hold of the axe, and she manages to decapitate her. And then the head knocks open the doors. Like the head right. sent flying. That's how they get out. Then, oh yeah, so Calvin gets in a car and the one they thought they killed on the bowling alley uh, comes after him. Like she's secretly in the back seat and man, he right. flips that car. <laughs> oh yeah, right. Just this oh. big car flip stunt at the end of the movie it was very uh, surprising. <laughs> very good. Yeah, they just flipped, they just had a car flip over. Sure. <laughs> it's just so out of nowhere. Like the the scale of the action sequence is quite funny. It really is because like there's been nothing even close to this done so far in the movie. Because like he ends up with the car upside down, uh, and somehow just like during him flipping the car, Spider just gets Unky uh, the MP trapped in uh, a a cigar can. Or I think it's a cigarette, uh, a chewing tobacco tin. Something like that. Yeah. But they leave the tin just out in front of the mall. And I'm like, oh, man, that imp's getting released in 10 minutes. Oh, for sure. He's talking. He like he's trying to entice someone to let him out right away. Well, he doesn't even need to. Someone's going to see this random tin in front of the mall and be like, hey, what's in Free here? tin. Yeah. Uh, and Spider and Calvin drive off or ride off together on her motorbike. Oh, yeah. And they've sort of had like a weird gradual romance over the course of it. She's like he was smitten with her instantly. Mm-hmm. But like she's sort of fallen for him over the course of it because, you know, he was more level headed than anyone else there, even though he was uh, drunk on one beer at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. It's a fun movie. I really liked it. It's really so good. much fun. Uh, r- really good time and an easy watch. Like and and a very easy recommend. It's kind of oh, yeah. sweet enough, but also it got enough interesting stuff that it's it's kind of for anyone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It uh, it takes the old uh, it 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 plays a bit with the uh, the pe- the 80s peeping nerd protagonist tropes. Yeah, and just enough. Like, it, it still indulges in them. So, like, if you want to see boobs, there's still a lot of boobs. Uh, uh, but it's... The, the shower scene is pretty gratuitous. It's very gratuitous. Uh, but it, it's it's aware of what it's doing, and it's kind of having fun with it. And it's clear that everyone involved was kind of having a fun time with it, too. <laughs> God damn that motherfucking image. <laughs> oh, outstanding. All right, so I guess that's uh, pretty much everything for that one. Uh, not a lot to say, but like it's just so easy to watch. Like easy recommend. Oh yeah, in a lot definitely. All right, uh, so on to part three. All right. Oh. 
Okay, so on to our third part where we talk about other movies that uh, have been watched in the past week and uh, what we're going to watch next week. We'll kind of uh, decide on that from the ones uh, that we've watched. Uh, so I watched uh, quite a bunch of stuff this past week. Uh, it being the last week of Halloween, I, I did kind of still go hard on the horror. We'll probably be back to slightly more manageable numbers uh, after uh, after this this uh, this week. All right. Well, yeah. What do we what what do we got? It just occurred to me that I never added any of them to the list, so I'm just going to do that while we uh, uh, talk about them. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, these are all ones that we've talked about before I'm looking yep. at. I'll, I'll just add them as we're talking about them, because I have okay. them all in a list. Uh, so the first one I watched, or first couple I watched, are Scanners 2 and 3. Mm. Uh, so... Are these, like, related to Scanner Cop? Yes. Uh, so the first film is Scanners, which is, you know, David Cronenberg's classic, you know, psychokinetic head explosion thing. You've seen the gif. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the very famous head explosion. Uh, so that that's, like, the first film. Uh, basic concept, you've got scanners who are uh, these people with psychic powers who can read minds and affect people's decisions and stuff. But with the intensity of their scanning, like it will also be very painful and can cause just an overload, uh, which ultimately can lead to the head totally fucking exploding. Right. Uh, and you get a lot of that in these movies, a lot of head explosions. It's really my, my favorite thing about these movies. Uh, so scanners, Two and three are the first sequels that came out, and they both came out in 1991, uh, right up next to each other. So they're a lot cheaper, like a lot cheaper than the first one. All right. Uh, but they they have a certain charm, like they're very Canadian. You know, I think they're both made in Montreal. Uh, they have a lot of fun modern montreal architecture as as their settings kind of kind of in keeping with how cronenberg likes to set stuff in uh really futuristic looking buildings okay okay uh so the second one is this plot where a right-wing law and order candidate is just uh getting a hold of a few scanners to sort of beef up his campaign and use them for nefarious purposes so he can gain power and also fake a, a crisis, uh, a, like a violence crisis that he can then resolve uh, and, you know, overthrow the mayor and everything. Uh, so that was interesting. Like, uh, both of them, in fact, are kind of more social issues-y than I expected them to be. Like, it kind of had a, a bit more of a, like, a, a, a lot more thought than you'd kind of expect from... 90s direct-to-video horror sequels i don't expect any thought from those no and like they're both pretty dumb like the scripts are pretty bad none of the acting is all that great the effects are a lot cheaper other than the nice head explosions uh but they're interesting and they they have a look they have a vibe uh the third one is called the takeover 
and it's even sillier. It's about brother and sister twin scanners. Okay. And very hilariously, at the start of the movie, the brother is at like some house party in an apartment building, and he's a scanner, and they're like, "Oh, show off your, show off your scanner trick as like a party trick," and everyone's drunk and playing around, and he hits someone with his scanner ability, and he goes out a window and falls to his death. Uh, so the the brother joins a monastery and like gives up scannering, scanning, and whatever, and the sister. <laughs> joins clinical research and she becomes a scientist to kind of help uh, resolve the issues of being scanners, except uh, she takes this experimental treatment and uh, is, it, it makes her go insane and become extremely violent. And, you know, she starts attacking people and blowing up heads and she's going to stage a revolution for, uh, scanners okay okay now are these were these made before or after the scanner cop movies so the scanner cops were a couple years later and are okay. technically not related to these there it's it's kind of like the halloween timeline it's like there's two different sets of sequels oh okay okay yeah uh so both of them are kind of their own sequel to the original scanners all right so next up, I watched Leprechaun, <laughs> the the original Leprechaun, the first in the series with Jennifer Aniston, uh, just the year before Friends. Oh, wow. I was going to say back when she was still hot, but she's still hot. She's still hot. <laughs> that hasn't changed. Um, it's it's weird. Like everybody in it is a stereotype like every character in it is a stereotype every minor character every major character like she is an annoying valley girl just as much as the leprechaun is a leprechaun oh you'll never get me lucky charms you'll never get me lucky charms it, it is basically that plot uh he <laughs> has some gold and he has some gold coins that uh in the cold open there's this irish guy who has managed to get a hold of this leprechaun's coins and he's brought them to his wife in california where i don't know they've emigrated and it seems like it's happening in like i don't know the 1900s uh but only 10 10 years pass and it's 1993 so i guess it was just a really weird 80s <laughs> but like yeah he he manages to trap him uh with a clover after he murders his family. Cause th this is a really, really mean leprechaun. He he's more of a sadistic leprechaun than you'd figure okay. given how silly the series is and how jokey it is. Uh, but he traps him and then like it's Jennifer Aniston's dad moving into this cool country cabin. Uh, and she's not into it cause it's far too not a, not city for her. And uh, I don't know. It's, incredibly stupid <laughs> there's like a dumb handyman uh i don't know it's it's weird it's dumb <laughs> is it is it good though it's kind of not good there's stuff in okay. it that sh that's kind of fun like there's a part where he's in a tiny go-kart and he gets pulled over by police 
And I want more of that stuff. And there's more of that in the sequels, but not so much of that in the first one. The first one's lighter on the good stuff and and heavier on just kind of dumb caricature. Oh, lame. Oh, well. Yeah. Uh, Next, I watched another pair. I watched Demons 1 and 2 or Demoni. Uh, And these movies fucking rock. Uh, They are produced by Dario Argento and directed by Lamberto Bava. Nice, nice. Uh, The son of Mario Bava, who worked with him through most of his, like, classic films. And it's just, like, so much energy, just real punk rock energy horror movie. Uh, The first one takes place at a secret horror movie premiere in a haunted theater and demons start coming out of well like there there's it's the premiere so they have some props in the lobby and this one of those like an evil mask and for some reason one of the people who's in the audience puts the mask on and it cuts them and then they become a zombie or they become a demon and then they infect other people with the demonism and it just spreads and eventually like it it comes to this wild climax of someone on a dirt bike in the movie theater fighting a horde of demons while he's like just on a dirt bike uh it's awesome okay all right and just rad banging synth score uh, a lot of cool contemporary new wave music as well just rules just so much fun (laughs) Uh, and the second one is kind of just the same but more <laughs> like they bring back some of the same actors even if they were characters who died they're just new characters <laughs> who are the same character nice. uh they, they just set it in an apartment building uh, a high rise instead of in a theater uh and just even more chaos because there's more characters <laughs> nice, <laughs> also, right also great uh i watched in the mouth of madness from the john carpenter ongoing uh watch through and this, I would say, is his last really good one. Okay. I mean, barring the possibility of Ghosts of Mars being really good, because I've never seen it, but word is no. Uh, <laughs> but this one's really good. It's it's him doing Lovecraft and him sort of doing a Stephen King thing. So, like, it's, it's about Sam Neill as, uh, I guess he's sort of an insurance investigator, and he's supposed to find out what happened to this guy who's the most popular horror author in the world. And like they do specifically mention that he's selling way more than Stephen King, but otherwise he's very Stephen King-esque. Cause like all of his stories are set in this one small New England town. Maine, right? Uh it's Maine. I don't know if they explicitly say Maine. No, I think they find that it's somewhere else i think it's like connecticut or something uh there's a whole plot point where they find out where the location is but i can't remember offhand where it is uh but the the font on his novels looks a lot like the stephen king font uh and they, they ultimately they find that this town is like real but it's sort of hidden by magic or something and it's sort of this weak spot in reality and evil is coming through just sort of leaking through into the world uh through his books and the more popular they get the more of it's coming through and it's sort of he's developing as a cult uh and he's 
aware of it and he's sort of intentionally tearing up reality. Oh, oh, that sounds fascinating. It's pretty fucking great. It's really wild. Uh, it's another really solid synth score. There's a lot of interesting, really creepy stuff. Like, you know, it's Lovecraftian horror, so it's sort of dreamlike. It's sort of unreal. And it's about just things that are so big and evil that they're not really fathomable. It's great stuff. Okay. Uh, next up, Fascination, which is a Jean Rolin film uh, similar to Jess Franco. Uh, kind of weird, dreamy, erotic horror. Uh, this one, there's this guy who's on the run from some bandits after, I don't know if he was involved with it or he, like he stole some coins, some gold, and I don't know if they were involved or they just want to steal it from him now that he's stolen it. But like he's on the run from these bandits who are going to kill him. So he hides out in this giant rambling mansion. Okay. and. There's just two girls there who seem to just be servant girls who like they claim that they're just there early to kind of pretend they own the place and be a couple uh, and, you know, waiting for the people who own the place to show up. That's what they tell him. But secretly, they have a lesbian blood cult and they're just waiting around to sacrifice him and also the bandits when they show up. Cool. But like, meanwhile, they're just playing a bunch of weird, inscrutable games through the night. It's great. <laughs> it's well, pretty interesting. What was this one called? Fascination. Fascination. I'm, well, I'm fascinated. Yeah. Uh, next one, The Dead Next Door, which is definitely the most ambitious shot on video movie I've seen. Uh, this is a really wild shot on video horror from uh, J.R. Bookwalter, who just like he he. The highest effort shot on video horror uh, of anyone. Uh, it was funded by Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi oh, wow. okay. uh, gave him the money that he made from Evil Dead 2 to build this. And Bruce Campbell does a couple voices in it. Uh, so it's it's this one about it, it's sort of an extension of Romero's Dead trilogy where it's it's like. The aftermath of those where there's an elite government squad who has to just go killing zombies all the time. Uh, so there's a lot of gore. There's lots of extras. It uses a lot of locations. Uh, it, it doesn't feel like the traditional cheap garbage shot on video. Uh, it, it just feels really ambitious for just a really low budget. All right. Uh, and so ultimately the anti-zombie squad have to battle a death cult who are like, we know if, if it's the Lord's will for us to be eaten by zombies, so be it. <laughs> so they're like, no, we, we can't fight the zombies because maybe they're meant to kill us, which felt uh, uncomfortably resonant after 2020. Yeah. Yeah. But theoretically though, it's like, what if, the zombies were sent by the Lord to test your ability to overcome zombies and you just fucking failed the shit out of it. Well, exactly. It's, it's a very stupid interpretation. That's uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's wild, but I, w I was really surprised to see that be sort of the central plot point. It's like, wow, God, <laughs> yeah. people, let's just let the zombies win because that's what's supposed to happen. That's because maybe that's what's supposed to happen. Right, right, right. Figure that's what's supposed to happen, probably, because they're a death cult. 
I didn't think people were really like that until just last year. And it's like, oh, yeah, no. And it's especially it's, fascinating seeing old media that's like, yeah, you know, people have been like this for a while, huh? Yeah. <laughs> this is yes. from 1989. So, yeah, it's wild. Uh, next up, The Strangeness, <laughs> which is also a Lovecraft horror, Lovecraftian Ooh. horror. Uh, so this is a really interesting a super independent horror film. Uh, what, what's really cool about it is it's pretty much all natural light, but it's set in a mine. Ooh. So pretty much the entire light is uh, flashlights, lanterns, and road flares, and pretty much nothing else. Which Ooh, that sounds so interesting. It's, so it's really dark most of the time, which is pretty cool. Uh, everyone's in really close spaces, and they meet you know, a, a big tentacled monster <laughs> that's just, you know, down in the, in the mines. Yeah. That's, it's about it. Like got a really cool horror synth score, classic lo-fi, uh, mid eighties indie film stuff, like very carpentry, like clearly trying to do a John Carpenter score. Hmm, okay. And, you know, pretty solid stop motion effects for the creature. You don't get a lot of it cause it was, you know, expensive to do it, but yeah, it's cool. Right on, right on. Uh, next up, Last Gasp, <laughs> which I don't know what to make of this movie. This was a strange one. So it stars Robert Patrick as Ooh. a wealthy land developer uh, who participates in the massacre of, I, I guess it's a tribe somewhere in like Mexico near like their southern border like it's a jungle tribe specifically oh, like okay. he's trying to make room for his land development so he participates in a massacre and kind of okays the massacre in the first place uh and the last survivor like he personally shoots and the soul of an ancient Toltec warrior possesses him and so occasionally he uh just murders people ritually like he turns into uh he very unfortunately puts on a bunch of war paint and oh, kills no. people which is like oh i'm watching robert patrick and war paint killing people i don't know about this uh it's it's very trashy like it's it's an erotic thriller somehow really it's a nice erotic thriller with that plot what? Okay. All right. It's, it's um, a baffling piece of media. I really don't know what to make of it, honestly. Okay. All right. <laughs> it throws some stuff at you. Uh, next up, Body Bags, which is another Carpenter one that's pretty good, but really hit and miss. It's not all Carpenter. Uh, so this technically came out before In the Mouth of Madness, but it's an anthology film that he did like half of. Maybe okay. like of uh, but he stars in it it's john carpenter basically as the crypt keeper he's just this morgue attendant who's a ghoul hmm, okay uh and the first sequence is really great it's called a gas station and it's just this lady who's working her first shift at an all-night gas station and just being attacked by weirdos uh, and it's great it's totally awesome but then the other two sequences are not great like one of them's about an evil hair transplant uh, starring Stacy Keach, and one's about an evil eye transplant. <laughs> Somehow, uh, the the eye transplant one is directed by Toby Hooper, who did Texas Chainsaw Massacre. 
both of them are are funny, but they're more funny than horror, and they're pretty goofy. So, so is it like the the hair is rejecting the host? It's sort of like that. <laughs> like just... the hair is. It turns out. To, spoilers. The hair turns out to be a race of alien worms. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking to Arrested Development and uh... yeah, the. No, Tobias's disease. <laughs> so it's worms. Yeah, they're worms. They're alien worms. Uh, it's, I, it's, it's sort of great, but it's also sort of bad. Like it's a real mixed bag, real mixed body bags. Uh, but it's fun to see John Carpenter actually playing essentially the main character in the movie. That was fun. Right on. Uh, next up, Twisted Nightmare, which <laughs> it's the dumbest premise I've ever heard for the start of a slasher movie. <laughs> all right. All right. I'm buckled up. OK, so all of these people were at this. I, I was I took to thinking of it as Camp Crystal Fake when I was watching this movie. <laughs> it's like they're at this camp as kids and there's this horrible traumatic experience uh, where a guy gets set on fire and burned to death. He's the brother of one of them. So that's all par for the course. The thing is years later, they receive a bunch of letters. It's like, you want a trip to this camp, this camp that has been closed down since they were all personally traumatized there. They're like, cool trip. And they all go, it's fun to go have a party. <laughs> is this Is this the one where Jason Alexander is like one of the dead meats? No, that's the burning, which is the same plot, except that one it's all happening that same summer, and it's not them winning a trip to go to the camp that they were traumatized at. Like why would they go? <laughs> why would you go? I cannot it's... imagine why any of them would go. It's nuts. I, I like basically the thing, it's just pure cliches. It's every single dumb slasher camp cliche but it's so weirdly done and it's so nonsensical that it kind of feels great there's just you know there's a native curse you got a giant murder monster like you always have uh and it's just kind of all of it just thrown at you and it's like, what the hell is this <laughs> it's, it's it's interesting like it's it's a very damaged version of uh the the slasher movie but it's kind of compelling in that sense Hmm. All right. Uh, next one, Kill Baby Kill, which is a classic Mario Bava Technicolor gothic horror. Uh, Bava is just like he, he's a, a really major influence on horror. He sort of launched the Giallo. I mean, Black Sabbath are named after one of his movies. Oh, the guy's just know that. fundamental. Uh, and like his films look absolutely beautiful like the lighting in his movies is like no one else's so uh, this is basically you know it's it's a basic gothic horror there's a vengeful ghost of a young girl and there's a, a an inspector from the city who's skeptical but is investigating murders that the locals all know are committed by this young girl ghost who's out for vengeance and just every shot looks like a Renaissance painting because of how beautifully lit and colored and everything is. It just looks incredible. It's all vibes. Nice, nice. 
And what was this one called? Sorry. Uh, kill baby. Oh, kill baby. Kill. There. <laughs> uh, and next, uh, the Laughing Dead, which I I got my new vinegar syndrome order from the month uh, just showed up the other day. So the last two here are both from that. And the Laughing Dead was wow. This was fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> So it's this the, these people on a bus trip to somewhere in Mexico, I think, or New Mexico, uh, they get involved with a, an Incan or an Aztec curse. There are these descendants of the Aztecs who have been the ones kidnapping all the children who are on milk cartons. Like because we, we see like this lengthy sequence of just endless children being sacrificed just like an assembly line of children being sacrificed just sort of going on in the background of the rest of the movie they they just cut back to it sometimes the guy's getting bored and tired he's talking about how he wants to become an investment banker after he's finished Uh, (laughs) but like most of it's following this tourist group who sort of just come across this i there there's this really really obnoxious kid who really hates his priest stepdad (laughs) and he's just always getting in fights with him and cursing at him and mocking his religion uh and the priest becomes possessed with uh an aztec death god and starts killing members of the tour but there's like a couple new agey people from arizona who are like always talking about resonating and meditation and stuff and it seems like these are going to be the irritating comic relief people you never figure they're going to be the heroes oh no they're the heroes because <laughs> it turns out the new age crystals that they carry are how they can fight the monsters uh it, it oh. it's like super gory it's really crazy a couple people turn into big rubber death god monsters and have a brawl uh there's a zombie basketball sequence in which they decide the fate of the world uh it's great it's it's fucking completely bizarre that sounds fun (laughs) it's pretty fun it's a little slow at the start it takes a little bit to get going but once it gets rolling it's really fun Cool, cool. And last one is Boarding House, which is another notable shot on video horror. This was the very first shot on video horror to actually get theatrical distribution. Oh. And the first 10 to 15 minutes are fucking incredible. Just everything I want in just lo-fi horror trash. It's got just this just roaring synth that just all of that kind of stuff really weird credits that are very eerie uh hilariously the director's name is misspelled uh everything's (laughs) sort of out of focus there's just this giant house that looks creepy and they zoom in on it and zoom out a bunch of times and we see a bunch (laughs) of grotesque kills like really fun cheap gore and then text screens from a computer where they're talking about the history of this evil house and all the murders there uh and they're like it sort of flips between the two and like the text screens are just like really lo-fi computer stuff and it's just this constant endless beeping uh it's awesome absolutely incredible and then 
it kind of gets really slow from there. Sadly, it sort of falls apart here and there. Like there's good stuff after that, but it, it's much fewer and far between. Uh, but it's hilarious that the main guy looks like Malcolm McDowell as Rod Stewart. And the, the <laughs> idea is he's this psychic slash, uh, I don't know what he does for a living, but basically he buys this house and he rents it to a bunch of unattached, beautiful girls. So he just like rents all the rooms to, for like really cheap. So he can just hang out with a bunch of hot girls all the time. Oh, as you do. Very sleazy. Uh, and then, you know, periodically people are being murdered because this is an evil murder house. Uh, the, there is an eventual reveal that's totally off the rails. And then like the last 10 minutes are also awesome. It's just there is some dead space in between for sure. But uh, pretty fascinating nonetheless. Uh, this is only the 90 minute cut, the theatrical cut. Apparently the second disc has a newly unearthed like three hour cut <laughs> or something. Uh, which I have not dug into yet because I just got this this afternoon, but I'm <laughs> I'll check it out sooner or later. All right. So those are our uh, picks for the secondary flick. Uh, what do you figure from those? Got a strong lineup. Yeah, we do. It's it's going to be a tough one, actually. I because there's a few that you've gone through, and I'm like, oh man, it's got to be this. But then you said another one, and it's like, oh no, but it's got to be this. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, what are we doing? What are we doing? Um. Hmm. Okay. So after. So I basically just got done watching "Don't Deliver Us from Evil." Maybe, like, well, right before we started recording, I need right. a palate cleanser. Um, right. And obviously, <laughs> sorority babes. I watched that first, so that's not my palate cleanser. Indeed. What is there anything on here that would be a I don't know, something, well, they all sound really good and fun and <laughs> silly and dumb. A lot of them have uh, that, yeah. Like, I, I would say that the ones that lean more towards silly would be, like, Laughing Dead, Twisted Nightmare, Body Bags is very silly, uh, Dead Next Door is pretty zany at times, uh, the Demons movies are both very high-energy uh, kind of punk rock nonsense and both of the scanners movies are very silly uh but they're sort of on the cheaper end <laughs> like All right. canadian direct-to-video <laughs> temper <laughs> your see. expectations oh oh i see canadian direct-to-video so <laughs> all right um wow yeah okay let's uh oh geez what was it Let's do Demons, because that one you told me, like, in our chat group, uh, right after you done got done watching it, that it freaking rules. So. It's such a banger. It's really great. I think yeah, we'll have some fun with it. Let's do that one. All right, cool. Uh, and so, uh, since last week was uh, the end of the Spooky Stacks, over the course of the month, I obviously did a whole bunch of shuffling. A couple stacks were eliminated, a couple stacks were folded into others. So for our first month back, we're going to be choosing from the inactive stacks, uh, which we occasionally do. And I've also pumped these up quite a bit. I've I've added a bunch of new stuff in and sort of rearranged those just sort of generally over the course of the month. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in here that uh, hasn't been in here the last time I looked. Indeed. 
Uh, yes. So any general thoughts here? What, what sort of stuff are you looking at? Well, uh, let's see. So we, we might talk about a few of the new things on here as a preview for when we get to them at later dates, because most of this stuff will kind of stick around. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, yeah. What are? Tell me a little bit about, I don't know, I guess some of the newer ones that you added that weren't here before. Um, I, I, oh, where, where to begin? What do we got? Uh, um, like pretty much all of this is new. Uh, like there's really only the first three rows or stuff that were here before yeah yeah um although some of them you may have heard a bit about some of these are ones that i've watched in the time in between of course yeah yeah Yeah. like um i i think i might have heard of halloween too i don't know (laughs) (laughs) well that i haven't rewatched but you know the banker i i watched that last oh yeah yeah devil story killer's delight i watched a little while back sting of death was last week Oh, hey, Fistful of Dollars. That's one of those Eastwood ones, wasn't it? That's the first one. Uh, so I've got all three of those in a stack uh, as as an inactive stack. So this is the first in the trilogy, and this one's based on uh, Kurosawa's Yojimbo, more or less. Oh, and it's, it's oh, the westernization of that. Okay, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I see Ghost Dog is there. Ghost Dog, classic Jim Jarmusch, Forrest Whitaker. Yeah, I uh, saw score that, uh, by Riza. I saw it when it was new, and I don't think I, I think I remember not really getting it at the time. Yeah, it, it's a, it's a very interesting one. It's one I had not revisited for quite a while either. Like it had been, you know, at least five years or so, and I came back to it last year and was like, yeah, this is a pretty great movie. Uh, just very low key, just a pretty chill vibe. Uh, you know uh existential hip-hop samurai movie in new york that's cool i i have that uh paired next to kuraneko so we've got ghost dog and ghost cat (laughs) i love it um i also saw i wasn't expecting to see mission impossible on here uh indeed uh again that's a full series uh, so we've I've got the box set of uh, the first six Mission Impossibles, and uh, yeah, that's it's an interesting that, one. Is that the Tom Cruise ones? Yeah, Tom Cruise is the main guy through all of them, and the rest of the cast sort of changes around him each movie. Okay, I, I saw the first two, and but the only thing I remember about either of them. And it's it's a shame that this is the part that sticks in my head is the Limp Biscuit Mission Impossible theme. So I was in exactly the same boat at the beginning of the year. Uh, I, at the start of the year, I was like, man, I hear good things about these Mission Impossible movies. Everybody talks them up and I felt like I ought to see them. But I had only seen the first two. And I saw that second one in theater the day it opened in theaters. And it was so bad, like just toxically bad and like i it was for me exactly like that limp biscuit song and the scene of them car dancing Uh, and just those two things were in my mind and that's all i can remember about mission impossible and so i just never watched any of the sequels uh and i picked up the box set of the whole series and uh second one is still absolutely toxically bad it's just unbelievable how bad it is but then uh from three forward they just get better and better oh interesting okay good to know um yeah because i oh man there's there's a version of that song with the lyrics and a version without and 
Fred Durst adds nothing of value to that song. Kind of sidebar, have you heard anything from the new Limp Bizkit album that just came out? Do I want to? No, I haven't. No, I haven't. I, I haven't either. Uh, I think it's called Dad Vibes. Uh, they're oh. they're kind of like really embracing being just old guys now. Looks interesting. I don't know what to make of it yet. Hmm. Uh, oh, I see you've got The Great Dictator, one of my all-time favorite movies. Total classic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Chaplin, uh, one of the greatest final speeches of all time. Yeah. Uh, apparently Hitler saw that movie twice. Indeed. He and specifically requested but nobody knows what he thought about it. Yeah, it's interesting, because, like, Hitler modeled his mustache on Chaplin, which is so fucking weird. Like, he yeah. was a fan, and... And the whole movie is basically Chaplin denouncing Hitler. Yeah, so that's that's it's Before pretty fascinating. Before we even found out about all the shit Hitler did. Because well, the war was I, still happening. People were... There, there was an awareness that something was going on, just not an awareness of the scale. I think. Yeah. You know, from from what I've studied, that's that's sort of more the impression I get. Yeah, that's especially that in like Poland, right. people knew stuff was going on. Well, yes. Um. Yeah. Hey, there's some good stuff in here. A lot of cool shit. So, what sort of stuff are you leaning towards? Do you have any particular? Uh, like vibe in mind or anything. It's um, like you got a lot of different directions. Yeah, there's a lot of different stuff. Uh, I want to stay away from horror just for now. I'm pretty horrored out. Makes sense, yeah. Um, so with that in mind, uh, we've got... Ah, gosh. <laughs> Is there anything on here that's like... That you'd consider... Ah, screw it. Let's just do Fistful of Dollars. I haven't seen it. All right. Fistful of Dollars is cool. Classic uh, Leone Western with... Uh, oh, shit. Split. It's only 99 minutes. Yeah, it's uh, it's a much smaller, much more compact film. It's the third one that it really gets big. Uh, so the, the, the first one is... The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly? Yeah, which I know you've seen. And I don't think yes. you've seen the other two, right? I haven't, no. All right. So Fistful of Dollars for a few dollars more. Uh, then once or not once uh, good the bad and the ugly and then there's also once upon a time in the west which is uh probably my favorite of the bunch and that one's yet to hit blu-ray i think oh, he's really wow. gotta get that one out that one fucking rules uh all right so cool uh next week fistful of dollars and demons uh which <laughs> uh, right. totally bangs all nice. right uh so uh thanks very much for listening as always and keep watching the stacks. I stole your thing. I'm sorry. I don't know what to say here. <laughs> well, kind of, you know, go with it, whichever. <laughs> keep watching the stacks, baby. Watch the stacks. Hey, you got to keep watching them stacks. <laughs>